Genesis 32, 22 through 32, when life feels like wrestling. And these are the very words of God to you. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, the angel said, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and you have prevailed And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the place, the name of that place, Peniel, which literally means the face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was delivered The sun rose upon him and he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Have you ever heard the sound of one of your own bones breaking? Or more appropriately to this passage, have you ever heard the sound of a popping out of joint of something on your body? Whether that was a shoulder, whether that was a hip, some kind of knees, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a good person on that, but I've heard some popping in my knees. Or have you ever just felt like your life? gets thrown out of joint. I don't like it when my life gets thrown out of joint. And, uh, and I'm going to tell you something that you need to go ahead and write, on, write it down in the new year. You can't control your life the way you think you can. We're not God. We're not in control. And things are going to be popping this year. Things are going to be wrenched this year. That's just life in a fallen world. Now, Jacob was, was that guy, you know, who, who kind of thought he could talk his way in and out of everything. You know, people like that? Very charming. And, you know, it just at least Jacob thought he could do that. And his name, Jacob, literally meant cheater or deceiver. You may remember he was the one that cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright. 
He was the one that deceived his father Isaac to get the blessing. And he had to run for his life because Esau had vowed to kill him in revenge. And into this man Jacob's life, into this life, God just brings one challenge after another and brings disappointment. And now finally here in Genesis 32 brings the threat of annihilation for he and his entire family. Because God wants Jacob to depend on his goodness and his power and his grace rather than Jacob's own resources. So God comes to Jacob in this passage and he grabs him and he wrestles with him. And there is a popping sound that happens in this text. And this story helps us with our own wrestling with our own struggles, with, our, with the, our own traumas that we go through in life. And I'd like to just kind of go with the flow of this story for God to teach us as we wrestle with different things in our lives. Um, basically, the flow is this. God grabs Jacob, and then God overwhelms Jacob, and then God transforms Jacob. God grabs Jacob in the dark. Verse 22, the night that Jacob got up and took his, that night took his wives and his maidservants, his 11 sons. Remember, he's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, the last son. Benjamin has not been born yet at this time. And he, and he sends all his family safely across the Jabbok River, gets all of the property, all of the stuff they're carrying across the Jabbok River. And in verse 23 of of chapter 32 of Genesis, we read, after he did this, Jacob was left alone and a man came suddenly and grabbed him and wrestled with him all night long. And God often brings us to a place through circumstances, and God often allows things into our lives that finally help us to understand we can't do it without him. God gets our attention. We feel threatened. We feel afraid. You know, we, we, we feel vulnerable because of things that are, are going on in our lives that we can't control. And for Jacob, that thing that he couldn't control was the impending disaster that was staring him in the face by his brother Esau and, as we read in the text, Esau's 400 armed men. Yes, the brother that he cheated is back who vowed to kill Jacob. I'm talking about Bedouin style. You know, like long curved sword, Bedouin style revenge. And so Jacob is, is faced with this. Genesis 32, 7, you kind of back it up a little bit and you see the, the incredible fear and distress 
of Jacob where it says, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him. He divided all his people into two groups and all his flocks and his herds and his camels into two groups. Why did he do that? He thought if Esau comes and attacks, really annihilates one group, the other group may escape Esau's wrath. Boy, you're really looking at some disaster when you're thinking to that level of just trying to get somebody out safe. We read that he gets his whole group at night across the Jabbok River and all the stuff, that one group, and Jacob's still on the other side of the river and and he's alone. And now, out of love, God has just backed Jacob into a corner. You ever felt that way? I have. That God has isolated you to get your attention. And for Jacob, it's called nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. All the charm and cunning in the world will not save you from the wrath of your brother and his 400 armed men. So God isolates Jacob. And then God grabs him. So Jacob was alone, we read in verse 23, 4, and a man came and wrestled with him. I love the way James Montgomery Boyce kind of sets the scene. He says, nights are dark in the desert. Jacob is all alone. It is quiet. The night is hushed. Jacob looks backwards. Jacob looks forward. Jacob looks to the left. Jacob, in fear, looks to the right. Suddenly, out of the darkness, a hand seizes Jacob. Who was it? Was it a desert bandit? Even worse, was it an assassin sent by Esau to kill Jacob? In a moment, Jacob found himself into, in hand-to-hand combat, wrestling wildly as though his life depended on it. In the Old Testament, when an angel is described as a man, very often that angel is given the title, the angel of the Lord And very often, the angel of the Lord is none other, and that's the case in in this passage, none other than a representation of God himself. Some people think this is the second person of God, kind of in a pre-incarnate experience with with Jacob. We don't know. We just know in, in verse 30, I've seen God face to face, and my life was spared. And so God grabs Jacob and let me tell you God grabs Jacob with a purpose and God is going to accomplish his purpose in this man's life right there in the dark I love what what Jim Boyce who was a personal friend of mine actually says Esau Esau was an enemy Laban Uncle Laban by the way if you want to go and podcast all of these these sermons about Jacob, you'll understand all about Esau and Laban and all of that. Esau was an enemy. Laban was an enemy. But God, God was no enemy. Now tell me we don't think about God this way. 
Oh no, God is, is benign. God is, is friendly. He's a, a benign, friendly, heavenly father to whom we can turn when things get rough, but can ignore. Jacob could ignore him when he wanted to order his own life and make his own plans and be charming and work his own game. How wrong he was, Jim Boy says. How wrong he was. Jacob had been using God all those years, and now he will discover to his horror that God will not be used indefinitely. It was utterly exhausting, deadly, hand-to-hand combat, and we read that Jacob wrestled for a while, and then Jacob just hung on. When I was 12 years of age, the, uh, the family that lived kind of behind my backyard, they had three boys, the Cook boys. And, uh, and Mr. Cook, uh, one of those dads that wanted to kind of instill toughness in his boys, you know, dads like that, like makes them play football and stuff like that. Well, Mr. Cook went and bought a set of boxing gloves. And, uh, and, so, and so his three boys were going to learn how to box. And any of the other boys in the neighborhood, you know, within that range, they were a year, year and a half stair steps apart. And I was right there in the middle, kind of the upper end of the middle of that. So we got these brand new boxing gloves and that was kind of cool, you know. And, and so we're going to have some boxing matches. So Mr. Cook made a ring, a boxing ring, like with rope, you know, like like a real ring, except for there wasn't, you know, you didn't step up onto it, it just the poles were in the ground. And uh, we drew straws, who's going to fight each other? And so we get in the ring, and, 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 and please understand, these were supervised uh, boxing uh, tournaments here. And uh, I don't know if you've ever boxed before, but you, put, you know, you put the gloves, and uh, what you're trying to do is hit the other person in the face while not getting hit, it's a really uh, delicate sport. And the, the first time you ever box when you're 12 years old, you're terrified. Because, you, you know, you just haven't been hit in the face very often when you're 12. And so, and you know you're going to get hit in the face. So there you are, you know, you got these boxing gloves. Your heart is just racing a thousand miles an hour. And you're like, you're getting exhausted just from the fear of getting hit in the face. And then you're having to concentrate on how to hit your friend in the face. And so, you know, you're hitting this person in the face and you're trying not to get hit in the face. And what happens is you get tired and you, you, you end up hanging on to this person. Okay. And so now you, these people aren't boxing anymore. Now they're just like hanging on. And I'm, when I say hanging on, exerting a lot of like wrestling. Well, Mr. Cook wouldn't let you wrestle, but about three or four minutes, which is kind of like an eternity when you're, you're hanging on and exerting like that. And um, man, I think about three or four minutes of hanging on to my next door neighbor. And then I think about Jacob hanging on to a representation of God Almighty. Can you imagine how frightening in the dark, how utterly exhausting, how just mind blowing in a bad kind of way? 
fearful kind of way this was for Jacob. But evidently, evidently it took some prolonged activity from God. It took more than three minutes of wrestling for, God, for, for Jacob to change. And that's what God wants to do. God's not hadn't grabbed Jacob just to, you know, hurt him. I remember when I was in seminary back in the mid-80s, um, my life was like way out of joint on something. I won't bore you with the details. And there was a lot of wrestling going on in a particular area. And um, at that time, I'd never been to counseling. You know, I came from family, you don't, really, you don't talk about it, you know. And so my friend said, RTS, the, 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 uh, the, the Marriage and Family Counseling Program, RTS, they have free counseling for students. Well, I'm not going to say you get what you pay for, okay? They have free counseling for students. So I went to my first counseling session ever with a student that I knew which for somebody that's never talked before is kind of hard. So I'm sitting there in the waiting room and I'm just as nervous as a cat in all this emotional pain. And, uh, and so I, I picked up the Bible that was, you know, right there on the little, the little piece of furniture between the chairs. So I picked up the Bible, I flipped the Bible open. Yes, I did. I flipped the Bible open. I looked my eyes to... What the Bible flipped open is almost flipped open in half. Flipped open to Psalm 119, 71. I'll never forget this. I look down and I read these words. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might keep your laws. Four verses later. I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And I'm thinking, oh, great. God is doing all this. And, you know, there are people who say, oh, no, God has nothing to do with. And, you know, your pain, God is, if God doesn't have anything to do with at least allowing our pain, there is no hope. It's just pain. You better hope that God in his mercy And his grace is behind it, working lovingly, grabbing hold of us because he cares, wanting through the difficult things in our life, wanting to utilize those opportunities for us to change and to grow. So first, God grabs Jacob. But secondly, he overwhelms Jacob. This is no fair fight. And God overwhelms us in our lives to the point where we realize something we didn't realize until we get overwhelmed. That we can't do this without God. Y'all, that's a hard place to get to. That's not a bad place to get to. We can't do this without God. Alexander McLaren, a famous Scottish preacher of another generation, I love his kind of little poetic way that he says. He, he says, in the moment of his weakness, Jacob made, in the moment of his greatest weakness, Jacob made a great discovery. 
He found that when we can't wrestle anymore, we can cling. When we can't wrestle anymore, we just can't fight it, fight back anymore. We can cling. Jacob realized somewhere along the way that the person he was wrestling with was God. I mean, like, whoa-oh, whoa-oh. That's a bad moment to realize that. And then he hears the, the horrifying sound of his hip by the pressure of God popping out of joint. And now the aggressive wrestling is over. And now Jacob is just holding on. And he hangs on. And he says, I I won't let go. Because I need your blessing. I won't let go unless you bless me. and, And my blessing has to come from you, my God. Now, let me tell you, that's changed because Jacob could always kind of use his own resources to get. This is already changed that we see. If you don't bless me, I don't want it. I can't face it. All this is preparation for what we'll find next week when he literally has to face Esau and his 400 men. Robert Candlish says that what a beautiful thing to begin by struggling with what you thought was an adversary only to discover that you really are in the embrace of the one who loves you the most. Like in our deepest struggles, I'm not saying the people that cause us pain or or God or something like that, but I'm telling you that is exactly where God can be found. That is exactly where we will, if we will trust him, where we will find ourselves, even though we say, I can't wrestle anymore. All I can do is cling. That's a good place to be, to cling to this God and be embraced by this God. So God grabs Jacob. God overwhelms Jacob. And then finally... God changes him. God transforms Jacob. Verse 25, when, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, meaning Jacob didn't let go is all that means. The man being God touched, don't you love that? Touched the hip socket and Jacob's hip was pulled out of joint as he wrestled with him. Verse 31, the sun rose as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. And we understand limping the rest of his life because of this wrestling match at Peniel. When God comes to wrestle, he breaks us in order to bless us. God's not interested in just hurting somebody. Y'all understand that, right? If you have pressure from God in your life, it is positive pressure. It might not feel good. It is redemptive pressure. God breaks us in order to bless us. And sometimes there's a popping sound. And that's, that sound, you know what that is, the sound of? 
That's the sound of our will. And our being convinced we can do it without God, live this life without God, that is the, the sound of our will being broken. But it's really the sound of God's grace. Because it is, it, it is the doorway to trust. It is the doorway to intimacy with God rather than just saying, I'll let you know when I need you. It's saying, I need you. And I want to hold on to you. Um, we're told that the shepherds of old, you know, like the Lord is my shepherd, like David was a shepherd. We're told that when a sheep would try to leave the flock all the time, just kind of had a will of its own to leave the flock. And by the way, that's not a good thing. You know, in America, well, yeah, he has the right to leave the flock and live his life any way he wants to. No, you get killed when you leave the flock. Okay, that's where the wolves are. You know, that's when you fall over a cliff. And so, you know, the, the shepherds of old, they would, they would go and they would find that sheep. Remember even Jesus talked about he's the good shepherd and he'd leave the 99 sheep that were safe. He'd go find that one lost sheep that he loves. The shepherd would pick up that sheep, break his leg, snap, break his leg. The sheep's leg. Put that sheep on his shoulder. Bring that sheep back and nurture that sheep back to life so that when that sheep's leg was healed, there was a change of thought about whether we should leave the flock anymore. And there was safety. And there was provision. Something, something like that's happening with Jacob. Some, some pressure. There's a popping noise. There's a snapping noise. There's just a love of God coming after this man. Leaving the 99. Coming after this man, Jacob. Because he loves him. And wants to keep him close. Wants to bless him. Wants to build his entire covenant people on him. His name is Israel. We're going to find out. The father of the 12 tribes. Verse 30, so Jacob called the place Peniel, meaning the face of God. For I have seen the face of God, and yet my life has been delivered. You know, if Jacob made a t-shirt from his experience at Peniel, I tell you, it would not say, I overcame at Peniel. His t-shirt would say, I survived Peniel. Or, I saw the face of God at Peniel and lived to tell about it. Praise his name. <laughs> That's the t-shirt. But Jacob was changed right there. You hear him saying, unless you bless me, I can't do it. As he's about to face impending death at the hands of his brother, and one of the ways we know that God was ch changed Jacob is he gave him a brand new name to go with his brand new life. You're not going to be Jacob. What's your name? Jacob. Nope. Your name will not be Jacob anymore. Your name will be Israel. Verse 28, he said, your name should no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and you have prevailed. The, the name Israel means the one who strives or wrestles. That's what it means. But the name Israel 
because of, is- of God's dealings with his people, usually names and covenants have to do more with the activity of God than men. And so the name Israel properly means not just you have striven with God and held on. The name means God was victorious in your life. It means, Israel kind of means God wins. I mean, that's a, that's a great name. We went from the deceiver to I I wrestled with God and God won. The fact is, is that in the wrestling, we are changed too. And we might be wounded in it all. You understand that, right? But we grow. But we grow and we may limp. But if we hold on and turn from everything else to God, God will give us his blessing. God will change us. We may limp, but we get a new name that sounds kind of like grace, kind of like mercy. I love what uh, Stephen Griffith says. He says, Jacob's wrestling had literally been a crippling encounter and our struggles and traumas can be as well. Jacob walks with a limp as a sign of of victory, not defeat. He has wrestled with God and he has received a blessing as well as a limp. And so the limp becomes a part of his character. And even though Jacob wears his pain in a most visible way, meaning he limps, even though Jacob wears his pain in a most visible way, he does not let that pain define who he is because he is not defined by his limp he has been redefined by God with his name now why do I read this because we are very tempted to be defined by the the tough stuff that's happened to us. We are very tempted to just pull inward and become this, this little no oxygen, no spiritual oxygen zone where we are just going to be downright disappointed all the rest of our days. Thank you very much. And I don't have to change because I've been done wrong. Let me tell you something. That is not God's will for your life under grace. It is not. And an embittered, hard, little heart is not what God has for you. And if you have turned away from people, if you are not willing to forgive, if you are not willing to engage, then let me tell you, you are a fugitive from God. And you may have everybody else across the river, but God's going to find you in the dark. He'll turn up the heat on you if you belong to him. Because he loves you. Okay, it's New Year's, right? You don't have to be like this. (laughs) Take that as good news. You don't have to be like this. You're not defined by your pain. You're not defined by your wrestling. You're defined by the name that God has given you, that name of a child of God. 
that he loves. You know, in a garden that you can still go to to this day called Gethsemane. You know the garden I'm talking about? Where Jesus wrestled with God in prayer for a long, long time. And it was incredible. And there was sweat like drops of blood. And in the end, Jesus submitted to the will. His will was finished. And the Father's will was accepted. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the will of the Father was for Jesus to take our sins upon him and die. And let me help you understand something that that you just need to take into this new year. When Jesus took your sins, our sins upon himself, the Father turned away from him. The Father abandoned him precisely so that you, if you will put your trust in his death, and resurrection the father turned away from him precisely so that you will never experience the father ever turning away from you i don't care what you go through i don't care whether it's the valley of the shadow of death you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me i don't care if you were done dirty by someone i don't care if the marriage ended i mean i care but you know what i'm saying i'm not making exceptions what i mean Because if you have Christ in his wrestling and in his pain, God will never turn away from you. And so let me just close by saying we need to realize that that in your deepest places, you're not alone. God is there. And there is hope when you feel like you are wrestling in the dark. When you feel like you don't know where this thing's going and you can't control it. There's hope when you feel like you're wrestling in the dark because God is there. And you know what? You can cling to him. And if if we will cling to him in 2019 and not anything else above anything else or anything else above him or anyone else above him, I want to tell you something. He, He will change us. And just like in this passage, he will bless us. And we won't be defined by our pain. We will be defined by a new name that does sound just like grace for you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's hard living in a fallen world as fallen people. Lord, we disappoint ourselves. Others disappoint us. People don't have to be named Jacob to cheat us. We don't have to be named Jacob to to deceive others. And God, it just has all the ingredients for for a, a toxic, yay, radioactive brew. That can just sicken and weaken our hearts. Lord, would you infuse hope into our lives simply through the good news of Jesus and that because of him, you'll never turn away from us. Would you help people who have refused to turn to you and are cherishing, cherishing their unforgiveness 
cherishing their so-called righteous anger, would you cause them to let go and cling to you? God, in 2019, we just would ask you, through Jesus and his work, would you bless us? We'll hold on to you. And would you bless us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.